morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the Olivet Discourse. We've been looking at Matthew 24 and 25. As we said, it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus spoke it on the Mount of Olives. As you descend from the Scopus view, you have the Mount of Olives and then the Temple Mount, and it's actually to the back of the Western Wall area. That's where Jesus gave this message. So this is the eighth week that we've been looking at the Olivet Discourse. We have a a couple more still to come. And then we're going to slide into the Ten Commandments for the fall. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we have rightly sung worship songs to you, your son, your spirit, three in one. We have rightly remembered to praise you this morning, and you are so worthy. Father, we live in a world, our immediate world, as well as our extended world that so desperately needs you, that needs salvation through faith in your son, Jesus that needs to be empowered by your spirit to live God-centered, God-glorifying lives. Father, we think of what's going on in Afghanistan. We ask for wisdom for the military that needs to protect innocent lives, both American and Afghani. Father, we think of those who will be left behind and we fear what might happen to some of the women and girls, Christ followers. We ask for your hedge of protection, wisdom. We ask, Father, that you might allow freedom to reign in what we fear will be a very unfree dictatorial environment. Father, give our leaders wisdom and skill to know right from wrong and to do right. Father, give us wisdom in our individual lives to know the difference between right and wrong and to do right. Not only because you instruct it, but because we love you. And Father, as we continue our study of the Olivet Discourse, speak to us Challenge us, encourage us, as James says. May we not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. Take your inspired and errant word and apply it to our lives. Transform our minds, our actions, that we might honor you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a story told about a grandma... She was at the grocery store, had bought her groceries, came out of the grocery store, went to her car, and lo and behold, there were four men in her car. She was a gun-packing granny, my kind of granny. She had a conceal-and-carry permit. She pulled it, and she ordered the four guys to get out of her car. When they saw the nine mil, they scrambled out and ran away. 
And she packed the car up with her groceries, put her gun away, was a little bit proud of herself. Put the key in the ignition and it wouldn't start. You already know what happened. It wasn't her car. She was a row off. Same make, same model, same year, same color, wrong car. So she found her car, loaded up her groceries, drove to the police station and turned herself in. When Granny was talking to the sergeant, he could barely contain himself, almost falling to the floor. And finally he pointed to a desk, two desks over, and there were four men, they were shivering. <laughs> they were talking about a gun-toting granny that had hawked their car. And we laugh at the story, it's kind of humorous, but I think it has some spiritual implications for me because if truth be told, I act like an owner all the time. I forget what Psalm 24, one tells me, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes me, that includes you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and sometimes I act like an owner. I like the word my. My time, my money, my talents, my calendar, my decision. And I forget the fact that I am a steward, that God has entrusted things to me that I might use what he has entrusted to me to advance, empowered by God's spirit, to advance his kingdom, his glory, his honor, his purposes. I'd like to pick up and read from Matthew chapter 25. Let's read verses 14 to 30. This is God's word. For it will be like a man going on a journey, that's Jesus, who called his servants, that's us, and entrusted to them his property. That's what he has done. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. To one he gave two talents, and he made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, hid his master's money. Now after a long time, Jesus has not yet returned. It's been 2,000 years so far. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said the same words, does he not? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy 
of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward. He said, master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked, slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's remember the context of the Olivet Discourse. The context for all of these eight messages and still a couple to come is that Jesus is going to return. In fact, as you know, at the Mount of Olives, that is the most expensive graveyard in history. You can't be buried there. You don't have enough money. And you're probably not Jewish. But people are buried there because the Jews are expecting the first coming of Jesus. We're expecting the second coming. He's already been here. And because of that, on this very location, it is literally the most expensive graveyard in the world. Because Jews are expecting the Messiah to come. We know he's here and he's coming again. And it is there, on that location, that we read in Acts 1.11, that when Jesus ascended, the disciples were looking up, their mouths were open. And an angel said to them, what are you doing? Why is your mouth open? What are you standing around for? Come on. Don't you know that he who has ascended will descend again? And we know from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that at the trumpet sound, the dead in Christ shall rise. Jesus will come. He will remove the bodies where the souls of those who have gone before us, who know Jesus, are reunited and the church will be raptured. And it will come again. Jesus will come again. And he says, be ready. Be ready. You don't know the day or the hour. We don't know if it's before the sermon ends or in 80 minutes after the sermon ends. We don't know when he's going to return. It might be a thousand years from now. But as Jeff Weiss said a few weeks ago, this is the Be Ready series. That's what the entire all of that discourse is about. I've had a lot of individuals, end time aficionados, say to me, I'm so thankful you're preaching all these weeks on the end times. I love this stuff. And I believe that. But if we really love the end time stuff, we've got to get the message right. And the message is not just a pre-trib, pre-millennial return of Christ, my view. The real message is this. Be ready. He's coming. Whether I got the timing right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Be ready. You can't be an end time aficionado if you don't get the overall message of all end time teaching. He's coming. 
be ready. And you and I can only be ready first and foremost if we have a personal relationship with the living God. If we recognize, rightly so, that we are sinners in need of a savior, sin is any attitude, action, thought, motive, inactivity, anything that misses the mark of God's perfection in our lives and through our lives is sin. And God in the personhood of Jesus Christ, fully God took on full humanity. The God-man went to the cross after living a perfect life on earth, never sinning, he died a sinner's death. He was buried and on the third day he rose again, offering salvation, his death, his burial, his resurrection as the atoning sacrifice of our confessed and believed in Christ's sin. And then we, we are given eternal life through faith in Jesus. That's the first thing that we need to know in order to be ready. But having accepted Christ, we then have this parable of how we ought to live our lives each and every day. Be ready. As you look at the text in verse 14, it says that a man went away. The man represents Jesus. And he's left his servants, that's us, behind to oversee what he owns, to steward what he owns. And he's gone a long time. Now, some in our day are probably stopped by the language. They read master, they read servant, and they start thinking of the evils of slavery. That's not part of the text. This text is of a large landowner who has employees called servants. In the first century, these individuals would have been landowners themselves. They would have had their own house, their own property. They would have received a salary. There would have been profit sharing. There would have been bonuses. Many of them would have been educated. They would have been the doctors and lawyers. They would have been the teachers, the nurses. They would have been those individuals who train others. And they're left in charge of the estate of the master who's gone away but who's coming back and who urges us to be ready because we don't know the day and hour of his returning. So we see in verse 15 that this master leaves some talents behind. It's the Greek word talanta. It actually refers to a weight and a value. A talanta weighs between 60 and 80 pounds, so we're going to say 70. A talanta was gold. Let's say that gold sells for $1,900 an ounce. It's actually at 1,800, but a few months ago when I wrote the sermon, it was at 19, so I did the math at 19. So $1,900 a troy ounce, and there's 14.5 ounces in a pound of gold, troy ounces, and you multiply them together times 70, and you discover that five talents, that's the big guy, that is $9.5 million. 
I suppose this guy is probably a trader on the Israeli Mercantile Exchange. He knows what he's doing. He's been entrusted with $9.5 million. Two talents is about $3.8 million. Maybe this is a vice president at First Judean Bank. He also knows what he's doing. A one talent guy, that's 1.9 million. That's not chump change. This is pretty big stuff. He also must know what he's doing. And so we have all of this money that has been given. And then the master comes back and he demands an accounting of the talenta. And the individual who had 9.5 has multiplied it to 19 million. The one who had 3.8 has multiplied it to 7.6. Did I get that right? Yes, 7.6. And the one who has 1.9, well, he hid it under his mattress. He didn't even invest in a CD with a half a percentage point of interest, nothing. And he gives it back to the master. Now we have to understand this parable is about us. It's about you. It's about me. And I'm going to tell you, I'm looking out at some pretty sharp individuals. And I think all of you are five talent gals and guys. I'm actually going to say that in every service. <laughs> I believe that. Not because you go to Highland, though I like the fact that you do. Thank you. You're five talent because you live in the 21st century and you live in the United States. That's just truth. Somewhere between 35 and 40% of the world's resources go through this country. We are all five talent. I grimace when I read revisionist history that says that we're not a land of opportunity. The world still wants to come to this country. Immigrants still want to come here. Why? Because we are a land of opportunity. Is it the same opportunity for everyone? No. There hasn't been a time. There hasn't been an epic. There hasn't been a place where it's the same opportunity for everyone. So yeah, maybe there's room for improvement. But the truth of the matter is, this is an incredible place to live. And God has entrusted it to us. We are all five talent gals and guys. Frankly, some are seven and nine and 10 talent gals and guys. We have been entrusted with much. We're stewards of much. And when I think of talanta, certainly it is a financial term. So I'm going to talk about that. But it's also a term of what has been entrusted to us, which is more than finances. It's also our skills, our values, and the like. And I want to remind myself, be ready. Be ready. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to take an accounting of what I've done with what he has entrusted to me my time, my treasures, my talents. I'm a steward. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. A passage I've thought about many times in my life 
is Malachi 3, 8 to 10. And whenever I get to Malachi, I kind of smile to myself because it brings back nightmares in my life. When I was a first a pastor, age 24 or 25, and I was in Texas, I don't know what overcame me, but the first sermon series I ever preached was Malachi. I don't know what I was thinking. I suspect the truth is I had no idea what was in Malachi. I was curious. So I thought, why don't I discover it with the congregation? And by the time you get to chapter three and especially chapter four, you got to know Malachi is not easy stuff. I was way over my head. Maybe some of you 25-year-olds could master Malachi. I was clueless. It's a miracle anyone stuck through the whole sermon series. They still have it. It's kind of like my... If I ever get too prideful, I want to read what I wrote. In, oh man, Jeff. Oh man, this is embarrassing. Well, Malachi 3, 8 to 10 is a passage that, that speaks to my heart. I want to read it to us. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need for more. I want you to know before I even, even unpack that a little bit that I am not encouraging us to worry about the budget. It's not why I am interacting with Malachi 3. We're going to make the budget. In fact, we're going to have excess. I'm not saying this because I think you haven't been faithful. So many of you have been incredibly faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm reading this text and I'm reminding myself of it because that's what Talenta is about. It is my accountability before the Lord. And so I, I drive four little principles from this. The first is this. God actually doesn't ask me to give him a tithe and an offering. He commands it. He doesn't say give. He says, Jeff, you robbed me. That's really strong language. I'm not saying this as a pastor. I was under 10 when my dad first introduced me to Malachi chapter 3. I saw this lived out in my parents' life. I still see this lived out in my parents' lives. I see it lived out in my sisters' lives. They've set the bar high for me. And they've encouraged me to to pursue what the Lord says. And so this actually is a command of the Lord, and I'm speaking to Jeff, to Betty Ann, that we give the Lord a tenth, because that's what the word tithe means. Second, I notice it goes to the storehouse. The storehouse is the synagogue, it's the temple, it's the local church. So when we support other ministries, it's above and beyond what we are to give the church. That's what the Lord says. Third, I notice he makes a statement 
that is just, just unbelievable. God says, test me in this. There are many times when God tests us. You can see Psalm 11, verse five, or I think I can make the case several times in the book of James that God tests us. I think this is the only time in scripture he says, test me. And what I read in the text is this. God says, Jeff, do you trust me enough to understand that you are a steward, not an owner? Do you trust me enough to give the first fruits back to me because I own it anyway. And if you do that, I will unleash my blessing. That's the fourth point. I don't believe at all in a health and wealth prosperity gospel. I think that is a corruption of scripture. God doesn't promise me that I will be wealthy. He doesn't even promise me that I will be healthy. He promises that he will never leave and forsake me. He promises me an eternal home. Here though, he promises that he will open his hand of blessing if I am faithful with what he has given me to steward. I don't even know how to put this in terms, but this is how my simple mind works. Maybe if I'm faithful and, and maybe I buy 40,000 mile tires, maybe God makes them 50,000 mile tires. I don't know. Or maybe I have a relationship I've struggled with. And maybe the Lord, if I'm faithful, allows me to struggle less. Or maybe he brings some joy into my life that I might not have had. I don't know how to quantify it, but God says, test me in this. That's the first part of Talanta, but it's not the only part. It's not just about finances. It's about what we do with the time and the talents that God has entrusted to us. Again, I like to think of the time as mine. I have a certain amount of time. I got to work. I got a certain amount of time. I love being with family. And, and I have a certain amount of time where I get to do what Jeff wants to do. And, and I try and think of things in my categories. And the Lord says, Jeff, you're a steward. You're a steward. I own it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I like to think of whatever measly talent I have is mine. But God says, no, I've entrusted it to you. And empowered by my spirit, you can do great things for my glory. And he also tells me he's coming back. Be ready. Now, the interesting thing about this text is clearly the one talent individual is not a believer. We can see that in verse 30 because the one talent individual is thrown into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a separation from the Lord for eternity in a place called hell. So clearly the one talent individual isn't a believer. I think the reason is because in this particular parable, the Lord just can't even imagine Christ followers who are empowered by him with time, talents, and treasures that are not expending it, stewarding it for the kingdom. But in another parable, in Luke 19, the 10 minas, we actually have 
a similar parable, but here we have believers who are not stewarding well. And they don't lose their salvation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But they lose some temporal blessings. They lose some eternal rewards that God desires to give because they haven't stewarded well what God has entrusted to them. I think of Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much more is expected. To whom much is entrusted, more is accounted. And isn't that similar to what we have in verse 29 of today's text? Matthew 25, verse 29 says this, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, the one who doesn't steward well, even what he has will be taken from him. Be prepared. Be ready. Jesus is coming back. I think about an event that took place in 2006 and has implications in 2013, 2017, and even to today. In 2006, Robert Kraft, feel free to boo. He is the owner of the New England Patriots, so he's worthy of booing. He went to the Kremlin. He actually was in the Kremlin, and in 2006, he met the president, Vladimir Putin. And while he was there, he took one of his rings. He now has six. I think the guy probably cheats deflate gate or something like that. Anyway, he took one of his rings and he took it off his finger and he gave it to Vladimir Putin to put on. And this dictator put on the ring and of course it's gaudy and it's oversized and it has all sorts of diamonds. And he said, man, with this ring I could kill somebody. And Robert Kraft said something probably not wise. He said, come on, Putin. You don't need a ring to kill somebody. You were the former head of the KGB. You know how to kill people without the ring. Well, that probably wasn't what you say to a dictator who took off the ring, put it in his pocket, and with his security detail walked out with the ring in his pocket. Now, you don't follow Vladimir Putin with his security detail, but he's got your ring. What do you do? And so Robert Kraft he went to the State Department and said, what am I to do? And they said, in the interest of U.S.-Russian relationships, pretend you gave it to the man. In other words, you lost your ring. And so Robert Kraft remained quiet until 2013. He was at a gala, and he told the story of how Vladimir Putin stole his ring, and he wants it back. And then in 2017, still having gotten his ring back, Kraft said, Vladimir, I will make a ring with your name on it, with the same number of diamonds and gold, a special ring, let's just trade rings. So far, no go. Kraft only has five of his six rings. Now the question I ask is this. When Robert Kraft gave the ring to Vladimir Putin to put on his finger, was he giving it to him to be an owner? Or was it temporarily on loan? Was he to steward it and then to return it? We know the answer, of course. 
It never dawned on Robert Kraft. He wouldn't have taken the ring if he ever imagined that the dictator would put it on his finger, then put it in his pocket, then walk away and still have Robert Kraft's ring. The master's coming. The master's coming. And the whole series is about be ready. Be ready. So here we have individuals, a five-talent guy has 150% more than the next guy, 250% more than the third guy, and yet he is to give an accounting. The one with five talents, the one with two talents, the one with one talent, all are to give an accounting to the master because he is coming back. But we live in the United States. We live in the 21st century. We're all five talent gals and guys in this room and Jesus is coming back. I can't be an end time aficionado if I miss the point of all end time teaching, be ready. That is the point. A final word about the one talent guy. He says, you're hard. You're so where you didn't plant. I feared you. And then the text says, he's lazy. It also says he's unimaginative. He doesn't even invest in a CD. He just puts it under his mattress. He buries it in the ground. And all of these excuses amount to nothing for Jesus. He doesn't care if you're afraid. He doesn't care if you're unimaginative. He doesn't care if I have excuses that don't matter. He's coming back. And how I live my life, I'm going to give an accounting. And so are you. Zig Ziglar once made this statement. How these things get published, I don't know. He said, airplanes are made to fly. And he got it published. I can't get anything published. <laughs> airplanes are made to fly. In other words, an airplane is worthless if it stays on the tarmac. He actually says the most dangerous time is takeoff. That's dangerous or landing. Probably true. But you still do it. Why? Because airplanes are made to fly. Christ follower, you're made to fly. You and I are made to soar. We're not made to take what the Lord has entrusted to us and sit on the tarmac. We are made to soar for Jesus. And I don't know what God has entrusted to you. Maybe you have some music talent. We've, we've seen some up here. And maybe you can strum or you can play or you can sing to God's glory, do it. Maybe you're like the four in the back and you understand all of those buttons. I would love to play with those buttons. <laughs> they won't allow me to touch the buttons. I don't know what they mean, but they light up and they're fun. 
They keep me from the buttons. But maybe you know how to use the buttons. Maybe you have Wednesday night where you can build into the next generation. We have a white rose. Last Sunday, I was preaching in Merrill. After the first two services, today I'm going to go to Weston and preach. And a child prayed to receive Christ from the sermon with her grandfather. I have lived with that joy all week long. It's priceless. It's priceless. You were made to soar. Maybe you care about individuals who are looking for a second chance in life. The Bridge Street Mission could use you. Maybe God has caused you to think about the child in the womb that is not protected in this country. Hope Pregnancy Resource Center, they can use you. Maybe you're athletic and you can relate to middle and high schoolers. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they could use you. Maybe you're a business person and you can hand out Bibles. Gideons could use you. We're made to soar. He's coming back. We're going to give an accounting for the talenta that God has entrusted to us. So many of you soar so well. Well done. May we all soar for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we readily confess that you have blessed us as a nation, blessed us as a church, as families, as individuals. We who know Christ of spiritual gifts, yet another blessing. You have given us so much in terms of talenta, time and treasures and talents. Father, we want to soar, not empowered by our own strength, but by your spirit. Not for our glory, but for the advancement of your kingdom. For your purposes. Father, may the individual who shares the gospel well do so liberally. May the individual who knows you so intimately and prays Pray even more. May the one who longs to see children come to Christ help in one way. May the one who can lead us into the throne room through worship, strum, play, sing for your glory. Father, use us I don't know why you would, but you choose to. How gracious you are. Use us for your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.